I'm Emma. And I'm Colin. And this is Frederick Uncut, where we talk about what you're curious about across the county with a new episode out every Tuesday. This week, as America becomes increasingly secular, faith leaders are grappling with how to preach on Christmas. Reporter and friend of the podcast, Wyatt Massey, takes us inside churches and behind the pulpit on Christmas to better understand today's Super Bowl of Sermons. Wyatt, I want you to tell us about why you wanted to write this story. And first, I want to acknowledge that Colin has failed to do an important part of his job, really a critical part of the podcast. Colin, what's that? Have the ability to talk. Have the ability to talk. <laughs> when you said you were going to address this, I didn't know you were going to criticize me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Merry Christmas to yeah, anyone Merry who Christmas. celebrates who's who's listening. This podcast comes out on Christmas, and this episode is going to be a little bit about Christmas and how people um, acknowledge and celebrate the holiday, right? Yeah, this is going to be our Christmas episode. We're, we're blessed because uh, this podcast comes out on Tuesdays anyway, and Christmas falls on a Tuesday. It worked out so well. It worked out well. So we're, this is going to be wall-to-wall Christmas. Yeah, and we apologize for Colin's for my voice. voice. Yeah. My, my <laughs> gift to you is me losing my voice. Gift to the world, really. Yes, yeah. because okay. nobody wants to hear my voice anyway. All right, so, so <laughs> take it away, Wyatt. Tell us why you wanted to write this piece. Um, essentially, I've gone to a number of uh, churches during my travels as a journalist um, and just a person of faith. And usually you show up at a church on a given Sunday or a given Saturday service or really any service, and you can sit. And I'm a taller person. I have a pretty large wingspan. And I can, and I, I could reach out and not touch anyone next to me in these pews. I mean, church attendance has gone down historically. Um, America as a country is growing less secular. But if there are two days... Growing more secular? More secular. Yeah. More, sorry, growing more secular. Yeah. And if there are two days out of the year where the churches are packed, it's Christmas and Easter. And essentially, there's a, a phrase or a term that um, yeah, people go say, to church. A name for that. <laughs> people that go to church on Christmas and Easter are called Christers yeah. or C&Es. Yeah. Because they really only show up on those two days. And then on any other given Sunday, they are nowhere to be found. Yeah. And you've got the every weekers sitting in the pews giving you a little, you know. Yeah, do you a little side eye? Yeah. A lot of side eye. Do you do you judge people who only go to a church on Christmas? Do I judge them? Yeah. Ooh, that's a long pause. It's. I mean, sometimes it's difficult, but also people have people need to find like some gateway to faith. Um, and I think like uh, talking with f- local faith leaders about what they think about people and how they sort of address them in their Christmas Day or Christmas Eve messages, um, really sort of got at that. And them talking about this might be the one opportunity, and if if there are if there is this large group of people that are only coming for these certain holidays, and you have one shot as a pastor or as a um, a priest, how do you reach them in a way that might get them to come back the next Sunday or think about their faith more deeply? If this is the one fifteen minutes you get out of the entire year, so you have fifteen minutes to convince someone to come back to your church. Essentially, yes. And do some pastors choose to go positive with that and say what maybe someone would want to hear and, and others not so much? Yeah, the, the faith leaders I talked to sort of fell on a spectrum. I think all of them would say that they want to give an authentic Christmas message and really talk about the true meaning of Christmas. Um, but some of them wanted to provide a more hopeful message. And then others took it more as a way of, if this is the one time you're going to talk about the true authentic faith, we need to address 
uh, an ongoing social issue or something that's really pressing that um, Christianity can speak to in their lives and maybe get them to change some behavior or to think about issues differently. I wanted to, to get to that because, uh, and we should probably say full disclosure as well, uh, we did this for one of the sections I'm in charge of, for the religion section, we did this story. So we worked on this together. We had this idea together. And when I first read the story, there, the idea of immigration came up more than I thought it would. It seemed like you talked to some people who were, some pastors who were going back and forth between, should I try to make a, should I try to have a statement, a message with, with my sermon this year, or should I just play it safe? Can you talk a little bit about that and why the, specifically the, the issue of immigration was something everybody talked about? Yeah, I mean, I think the issue of immigration comes up a lot just in our daily context with what's happening at the U.S.-Mexico border um, and some of the changes in asylum policy that are going on through our country. So that's very present in our political climate, especially just having the election and that being a big issue for people that were running. Um, and then it also comes up in the Christmas story because Mary and Joseph are essentially refugees. They um, are not taken in because of their social status. Essentially, Mary um, had a child out of wedlock, um, in which case in first century Palestine, she could have been stoned for that or at least been a major social outcast. Um, and then shortly after having um, the birth of Jesus, the, the king of the area, King Herod, orders the killing of all, um, all boys under two years old, and they essentially have to flee the country just to provide for their son, who in the Christian context is the, the savior um, and the son of God. So it's like the, the Christmas story is very much about being socially marginalized. And that's something that a lot of the pastors that I talked to touched on because it is so present. And it's like just a really obvious parallel to what's going on in our current, current world. Were there any other social issues that, that, that they brought up? Um, well, so talking about marginaliz marginalization can touch on uh, a variety a of, of a, lo a lot of things. I think that immigration just came up because it is so present. But the idea of marginalization comes up in other um, hot button social issues um, that the church deals with. You have you have a sentence here that's very early. It says the glamorization of Christmas, you write, has taken away the power of the story. And this this was actually a paraphrase of what somebody else had said. And I don't want to butcher the name. <laughs> so I won't because I can't talk anyway. And I'm sure everybody's sick of my voice five minutes into this podcast. But w talking, did you find that 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 there were church leaders who were sort of fed up or didn't have a sort of a rosy glass outlook on the, the idea that, you know, Christmas is all about gifts to a lot of people, you know, it's not really about as you say, the, the power of the story. Yeah, one uh, pastor in particular, um, he uh, works with Mount Moriah Baptist Church um, in Knoxville, Maryland. Um, it's a smaller congregation and more of a rural area. And one of the things that he said that was really um, telling was like he wants his Christmas message to directly talk to the commercialization of Christmas and the idea that you can sort of buy happiness for others by giving them gifts. And essentially, a lot of times it puts people in debt. Um, and the the quote that he said essentially was that if he doesn't in his Christmas messages, especially the weeks leading up to Christmas and that last Christmas message address the fact that people spend a lot of money and go into debt. Um, if he doesn't address that, those are the same people that are going to be coming to him in six months because they are crippled by this debt or they're thinking about financial hardship. So not really thinking about the, the actual Christmas message that has nothing to do with giving gifts and buying things on Black Friday. Okay, but this isn't new. This is not new. Because you mentioned, you started you know, off the podcast talking about how 
in America, things have changed mm-hmm. in terms of who is practicing, who is identifies as religious. But this is something that has been in the Christian faith and been something everyone kind of brings up a lot this time of year, right? I mean, like every year, my family watches A Charlie Brown Christmas. And in that movie, right, there's the scene where it's like, wait, we forgot the real meaning of Christmas. And mm-hmm. and one of the characters tells the Christmas story, right? right? Like that idea that it's not about money, it's not about gifts, it's about this story. And usually you hear it as a story of hope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'm just wondering, like, were you, when you were talking with these leaders, did it seem like this was a problem that had come back or had gotten worse because it is something that I feel like has always kind of existed. Yeah. And I think in terms of coming from a a Christian perspective and being a faith leader, having that kind of just general, we need to get away from the commercialization of Christmas is sort of the cliche that comes up um, every holiday. And I guess it is, it is really hard to get away from, from that commercialization and the glamorization of it. I think um, all of us would agree that if we had less spending and like um, getting less into that idea of just we need to get as many gifts as possible and and show our love through gifts. All of us say that, but then when it comes around to that day and you're thinking, oh, I have to get that great gift. Like I really want my nieces and nephews to love opening presents. It's really hard to fight against that. Um, so I think... Well, but, and fewer and fewer people are, are trying to fight against that. Right. Because they're not religious, right? Right. Yeah, and that, so essentially that that message um, that I think the Christian church has been pretty consistent on um, is reaching less people throughout the year. Mm-hmm. But these these holidays, um, Easter, and then specifically Christmas, because it's a, a bigger spending day on Christmas, this is really the one time that if you're going to give some sort of message about turning away from some of the quote unquote sins of um, the American life, this is the one time that they have to reach people that are going to be in the pews on that day. Right, because in Christianity, it's a message that isn't just about Christmas. It's kind of like turning away from earthly things toward God, right? We see that in a lot of different times and places in the Bible, right? Right. And it's, it's really interesting because a lot of the things that are popular now in terms of minimalism or mm-hmm. um, mindfulness are things that the Christian traditions have spoken to for a long time. Yeah. Um, and some of the, the faith leaders have not done a good job of communicating that, but then you see um, things like mindfulness and minimalism becoming more and more popular. And then there's this divide where faith, leader, faith leaders are saying, we've literally been talking about this for centuries. If you go mm-hmm. back to some of the original church leaders, that was th- their whole right. idea. Meditation, mindfulness, right. minimalism, super popular right now, also have been part of this religion, right? Right. For... Like Christianity speaking to ideas of immigration and welcoming refugees mm-hmm. and welcoming people that are socially marginalized is basically the foundation of Christianity. And I think at a time like this, people see it as, oh, the church is really speaking out on this issue. But historically, the church has been very vocal about some of these issues. Can you speak to how the Jewish faith looks at refugees versus how the Christian faith considers refugees? Is it the same or can you speak to that at all? I don't know if I'd be... Um, fully qualified okay. to speak to that. I, just, I mean, I spoke to Christian pastors for this yeah, story specifically, yeah. um, but that'd be definitely something. You know, I'm just curious because when I, I don't know, I interviewed a rabbi for something and just remember it being like uh, that conversation about helping uh, the wandering person and mm-hmm. that kind of sense of 
being the wandering person, having been the person who um, was so, you know. Right, yeah. In the in the Jewish tradition, they were enslaved, they were cast out right. of Israel, they've wandered for 40 that years. Identifying with that, right. right. And yeah. then having, so it, it's, it's interesting having all these Christian um, faith leaders also talking about refugees and things like that. I'm really curious about this sentence. Um, the fact that we can say millions and millions of young women are experiencing the same conditions that Mary experienced in the first century Palestine is appalling and should be appalling to people. What does that mean? Um, essentially what the, the pastor is talking about there um, is that the sort of social marginalization, um, women not being valued in society. Um, if you like go back into the Christmas story, um, the angel comes to, to Mary and says that you're going to have the, the child Jesus, who's the son of God. It's going to be okay. This would be off terrifying if mm-hmm. an angel came in the middle of the night. But essentially she <laughs> then tells her, her, um, her lover, Joseph, um, that she is going to have the son of God. Um, and Joseph doesn't take this super well and is essentially going to just leave her on the side of the road quietly. He doesn't want to do this publicly, even though he could have um, in a society right, that valued men a lot more. He's a very good guy for doing that, right? He I is, like but he also, he also did not he believe her. It, uh, okay. it, took, it took another angel coming to tell him that you need to believe your wife. Okay. You two angels. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a lot. So that compares to today when what is happening to women? Well, I don't think From it's... From his perspective, I'm just wondering what... Yeah, I, I mean, he didn't speak to this directly, but um, essentially the idea is of like, women not being believed um, when they come forward mm. um, with anything essentially anything credible. Um, we see that again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the social marginalization of people who do things outside. Um, having children out of wedlock now is not as big of a social issue um, as for the, the younger generation. But I think back to sort of my parents and grandparents' generation, that is still something that you'd, you'd be socially outcast. Like we are not 100 years away from um, Catholics sending um, mothers who are having babies to essentially special houses where they could have the baby and put it up for adoption, then they'd come back as if nothing had happened. The most fascinating nugget in this story to me uh, comes from a piece of information from Detroit. I'm going to read this, and we talked about this earlier today anyway. In November, the Archdiocese of Detroit held training sessions for regular mass goers about how to be more hospitable to people who do not regularly attend church. Um, I think that's a... I didn't even know something like this happened. I, I'm assuming you read this somewhere. Yes. Well, I have to credit uh, my friends on the podcast. Jesuitical talked about this. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a Catholic show. Okay. Um, but essentially, yeah, they held training sessions for their regular attendees, essentially saying, so when new people come, this is how you can be nice to them and not put them off, which is essentially came down to greeting them, yeah, saying but- them that they're welcome, moving over so they don't have to crawl over you to get to the center of the pew. Is the implication then that they wouldn't be nice without this training? You could imply that, yes. I mean, it's also <laughs> a form of missionary, though, right? It's a... It's a for, yeah, a form of um, evangelizing, hopefully. Right. That if, if you come and you're new, you'll feel welcome and then want to, want to come back. Because there are a lot of things that, if you're a regular churchgoer, can be off-putting if new people show up. Essentially, yeah, that doesn't seem odd to me at all. Go ahead. Well, I mean, just a common idea is that if you're a regular churchgoer, you probably sit in the same pew in the yeah. same spot, and you don't really have to get there super early to get it because everyone knows, Emma, that you sit in the fourth pew on the right side. Yeah. 
But if there's a bunch of new people coming, they might not know that. Yeah. So when you show up and you're ready to hear the Christmas message, it can kind of spoil it if there are a family of four sitting in your special pew and you might not give the most charitable Christian response. Right. It's going to be crowded. It's going to be... There are going to be babies that are crying. Yeah. There's going to be people very close to you might be touching elbows. But the, but, the, but the idea of talking to your regulars about how to interact with people who are not in the same place with their faith that you are, that seems like a pretty common church thing. You know, you talk about how to welcome people into the church in general, not just on this day. You, you do like outreach and things like that where you're right. That's, mm-hmm. So this is pretty common, but it's kind of like a different take on on the typical evangelical. Yeah, this has been sort of a shift in evangelizing and some of the main yeah. lines of faith to, to lead with hospitality and being a kind person and then using that as an invite to coming to church more regularly. Yeah, but having training, I think that's what I mean. Is this is it common to, for churches to have to hold official training, essentially to be nice to people on Christmas? Um, it's more than being nice to people. It's like, how do you welcome someone? How do you talk about faith with someone if they have questions? Am I wrong? Was it really just like? I mean, it's a little bit of both, but okay. she's wrong. the <laughs> the the Twitter. It's probably a, a mixture. The yeah. Twitter hot take would be that it's asking them to. Be nice and so Colin's oh, so the Twitter, Twitter hot, take. hot take, and I'm the we, rational voice, we, voice of reason over here. We just did two weeks, two episodes on Tinder too. <laughs> yeah, this is quite a transition. <laughs> Wait, the last episode was. Yeah, this is quite a transition. Yeah. If you listen to our last episode, uh, you have a, a quote from the Reverend Tony Fish. The idea is to present the feeling, the message, and the opportunity, and find the peace that's Christmas for them. You follow that up though. And this ends one of the sections in this story. Not all faith leaders uh, use this approach. They may want to deliver an encouraging message, but plan to do so in a more aggressive manner. It's mm-hmm. just kind of a two-part question. What's the aggressive manner in which these, in which pastors go by delivering their message? And when you were out there talking to all these people, what was the split? How many wanted to do the encouraging message in a more kind way and then how many others were aggressive yeah i think i talked to about six or seven faith leaders and it sort of split down the middle in terms of people um, that wanted to deliver a more hopeful message or just a more general talking about the christmas story versus people who are very open and saying we need to address certain issues um, especially for people that are coming just every once in a while Mm -hmm. um i think specifically um the reverend dr barbara kirshner daniel um who's a pastor at the Evangelical Reformed United Church of Christ. Um, And she spoke, she said that, yeah, there are all these parallels with things like immigration, but the Christmas service isn't the best time to talk about that because you're having so many people come in and Mm -hmm. leave immediately that you can't really have a dialogue afterwards if she's gonna bring up something that could be triggering or make people mad. So it's not hard to go down that, that road of how would it feel to be a Syrian Christian who is not in their home this Christmas because they're a refugee or the families that are on our Mexico-U.S. border. And the struggle with that is that that's very relevant, but at the same time, it may not meet the needs of what people are coming to hear that night. There may be another, there will be uh, another time to address that in a way that gives people a chance to have dialogue about it. That's the difference with Christmas Eve and Sunday morning on a regular basis, I can raise an issue or p- 
push a little bit on a, an issue because I have a chance to dialogue with people after the service or in the weeks ahead. On Christmas Eve, if someone's only there that one time, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have the chance to have a conversation with them about what they heard um, and what may have been troubling or challenging. There's a reason why all of these people are here, whether it's they're here all the time or whether it's only once a year. I'm glad they're there. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I want to do whatever I can to make it a meaningful uh, experience for everyone who comes to worship that evening. Um, whereas some of the other pastors talked about, we really need to to address some inequities or things that they see that people, if they don't come back to church, at least they, in that 15-minute sermon, will have something to think about, um, specifically like the Reverend Dr. Rob Apgar-Taylor, um, who is at uh, Grace United Church of Christ. He, he essentially had this line, which I really, really like, that um, he needs to address some of these core things in Christianity that the Christmas story addresses and really make sure that people understand that that Christianity is a church for the marginalized and is a church for people who um, society outcasts. And he essentially said, like, he is not in favor of putting Christ back into Christmas, which is a line that a lot of people say in terms of not wanting to say happy holidays because it's about Christ. He's like, you, I don't want to be the person who says, I want to put Christ back in Christmas. I want to put Christ back in Christian. Essentially, the people who call themselves Christian aren't really living out some of the core principles of, of being a person of that faith. Yeah, you end the story on that quote. So, uh, spoiler alert for those who have read it. So, in some ways, it it could speak to not just people who are there for the first time in a long time. It also is to anyone who might not have that um, core, uh, like might need that core reminder about what it means to be a Christian. Because I remember in my church growing up, shout out Pastor Pease and our Savior, um, my pastor always told the exact same story every year. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're talking about pastors who are faith leaders who might, you know, incorporate what's going on today or something like that. My pastor said the same exact, it was like word for word every single Christmas about the Good Shepherd. And um, I, I actually really loved that because it was my annual reminder of what it meant to be a Christian, what Christmas meant. Mm-hmm. Right. So did you talk to faith leaders who kind of were doing did did do that practice of giving the same um, kind of sermon every every year? Or did it sound like they always kind of switch it up? Um, The the one um, Tony Fish, who Colin mentioned, she talked about having sort of the same um, setup in in the in the service. But none of them talked about giving the exact same message. And I think that is. It's another one of the challenges. Not only are you trying to speak to people who are there for the first time, but you're trying to deliver a message for people who come every week and have a really strong faith and want something deeper. They want Mm -hmm. a message that is going to tell them something new and they don't want to just sit through something they've heard 50 times. But you also have to have a message that's open and inviting for people who have more of an arm's length relationship with their faith. Right. Who do you cater to? Your loyal followers or your... The, right. the new people, the people who aren't quite as regular. And that's um, something that um, Reverend Mark Groover, who um, preaches at Asbury United Methodist, talked about. And he said that he doesn't really try to think about how many new people are going to be there because he can't mm-hmm. expect that. Essentially, he wants to um, preach to the people that are there regularly in terms of encouraging them so that they go out and share 
that message to other people so that they can invite people to come in. He's not relying on this one message reaching all these new people that are going to be there that day. There's a lot of pressure because I feel like I've everybody's been in a sermon, right, where they just don't, doesn't resonate, said something that maybe made me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, what if you're the pastor who accidentally does that on Christmas and you've just you know, potentially told somebody, oh, I've been going on Christmas every year, but I'm I'm done. Like, right. I'm, I don't need to go next year, right? Yeah. And That's a, why you call it the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's very it's, high pressure. <laughs> it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. Did you talk to any of these faith leaders about music? <laughs> I ask because I know people who like to go to Christmas service because... So the, important. What? This is so... No, this uh, is so uh, important. It is. I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> like that, I... I, I want to hear my songs. <laughs> yeah, like people love to go yeah. because of the music. And mm-hmm. uh, did you... Did that come up in conversation at all while reporting this story? Um, not with m- music specifically, but when... Um, I talked to the Reverend Dr. Barbara Kirshner Daniel. She mentioned music as well as these other things. Um, and essentially the point that she was trying to make is you, she has to talk to the people that are welcoming people and telling them where to sit. Because if you're a new person, you're already forming an idea and an opinion of this church the minute you walk through the door. And she's not going to show up and give her, her sermon for 10 to 15 minutes at the very least. Um, and at that point, you might already be checked out. So mm-hmm. how do one, how do you create an inviting atmosphere? And then how do you do things that keep people going? And that, that can be things like music this because there like are the classics. Clickbait. It is like church clickbait. You we gotta... want Hark the Herald Angels sing. We want Joy <laughs> yeah. to the World. We want some Silent, silent Night sprinkled night, in. Yeah. Do they do the candles? My churches in the past I've gone to do the candles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I always come for the candles. And the candles are at the end. So you were like... You build up to the. But sometimes the candles, the wax gets on your hand oh, and it burns. And it drips. That might be a follow-up Will it article Won't for it drip? like next year. Will the kid behind <laughs> me light my hair on fire? Well, yeah. That's, what age do you allow the kids to hold the candles? If the kid is in the hands of a parent, any age. Any age. If the kid is on the ground waving it near my hair, no. <laughs> All right. But favorite Christmas song? Favorite Christmas song. Definitely Hark the It's Hark the Herald, I think. Hark the Herald, Colin. So when my Christmas service would end, uh, it would always end with joy to the world, which I it always made me feel good mm. at the end. Now, this is like Christian Christmas song, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, Why? What? No, no, no Michael like, Buble. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Ariana Grande. Yeah. <laughs> Baby, I'm home for Christmas. And all, I baby. Need, all I need for Christmas is <laughs> that's you. That's want, and it's Mariah Carey. Okay, okay, well, okay. That's, so I also like Silent Night, even though I'm not sure that oh, that's a Silent Christmas Night. song. Yeah, it is. Holy Night. No, I think originally I wasn't. Son I don't know if it was. Anyway, it's a sad song, and I like sad. How about you, Wyatt? I, I'd probably go Hark the Herald. Mm. Wow. I mean, Why don't they're you all... guys go get your own podcast? They're all classics. <laughs> Get out of my studio. <laughs> but also, follow all classics. Follow it's like you're talking about question. Hey Jude or something. Go ahead. Hey Jude? No, you're <laughs> like, they're all classics. Like you turn on classic rock radio and you hear Hark the Herald Angels sing. Wyatt, what's your follow-up? Are you all going to church for Christmas? I don't know if I am this year. <laughs> last year. I did last year. Well, so going to church on Christmas is always important to me. 
Why um, is that, Colin? I, I would always go with my grandmother, uh, who I love and adore, and she's been, uh, she hasn't been around the last few years. So last year, I went to the service at the Naval Academy, and that was pretty, pretty breathtaking. I will, I will say that. Hmm. Will you go to church? Why? I will. At home. At home. Yes, you're going home. I am going home. Do you have home. a favorite Christmas cookie? That's really putting me on the spot like I put you on the spot because yeah. you know I don't eat sweets, Colin. Yes. Oh, yeah. Why well, doesn't eat sweets? He also didn't eat my salad at the holiday party. We should have kicked him out. I waited until just now to bring it up. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Christmas cookie, Emma? Um, No. Okay, so that, that question went well. <laughs> Do you? Have- uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh, that's I right. Yeah. Which is, a, which is a classic movie, and I will just say it, it's, it's a great movie if you haven't seen it. Holds up. Wyatt's is going to be Dallas Buyers Club. It is not going to be Dallas Buyers Club, but I do have an odd choice. What is it? Well, so every year, um, my dad and my sister and I, we watch um, Christmas Vacation, which is a classic. I love that. Classic movie. Yeah. Um, but also, we always watch Fargo oh, yeah. around Christmas. Definitely. Not because it's a Christmas movie, but because Christmas is the one time that we're essentially all together. And we all love that movie. Mm-hmm. So it's become a Christmas tradition. It kind of feels like a Christmas movie because there's a lot of snow. There is a lot of snow and a lot of upper Midwestern accents. Yeah. So it's yes. like going home. Yeah. Every year on New Year's Eve, I watch When Harry Met Sally oh. alone. And I just like <laughs> and goodbye, dream everybody. of the It's <laughs> one of Emma's of favorite movies. Where, yeah, it is. Thank you, Wyatt. It's one of the, like, and you sit there and you watch it and you dream that, like, just, like, how they meet at the Christmas party, or at the New Year's Eve party, and it's counting down, and he says he loves her, and it's really, it's a tearjerker. It's my holiday tradition. Okay. Uh, but you're going to, you're not, are you going to do that this year? Yeah. Okay. Because I'm going to be alone. No. No, you're not. Yeah, yeah. I have oh. to. I have to work on Christmas Eve. New Year's yeah. Eve, you mean? I mean, yeah, New Year's yeah. Eve. Yeah. Uh, how about Christmas dinner? Do you guys always have ham? Isn't ham like? The I can't Christmas talk anymore thing? about food after that Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> Scarring. <laughs> Wyatt, I'll go to you then. What about <laughs> Christmas dinner? Is that a thing that you have traditions with? Yeah, I think we are. We, my family is a ham family. Okay. We do. We do ham. Do you have a favorite Christmas memory? Emma just gagged. I do, but it's not my memory. All right. Well, what is it? Yeah. Um, when I was very, very young, um, around the Christmas time, I have an older sister who's four years older than me. My mom loves to tell this story. And if she ever listens to this, she'll cry right now. Um, oh, she's got to listen. You'll be with her on Christmas. Pull this up. Just gather around the hearth and yeah. listen to my voice. <laughs> um, essentially, so I was very young and I was put down for a nap. Um, and then my mom and my sister put up the Christmas tree and decorated it and got it all ready. And then I woke up from the nap and I walked around the corner and saw the Christmas tree all lit up. And it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my, I don't know, three-year-old mind. And she just loves that memory because I was so amazed with the Christmas tree and all the lights. Christmas memories are so... We're going to cry. It's so... I mean, it just really, like, gets to a place. Like, in your... When you talk about your childhood, that's one thing. But talk mm-hmm. about Christmas in your childhood, it's like... It's too much. <sighs> <laughs> well, on that note, 
Well, no, I mean, I think, yeah. Do you have a favorite Christmas memory? I, I don't, I don't know that I have one necessarily to to share. I think one thing that our Christmas tree, I don't know what yours was, but we didn't put like bulbs on our Christmas tree. We put like mementos. Mm. I mean, sometimes we would do like stuff that my brother and I had made in school, like with our picture on it. You know, we both went to Christian school, so you make ornaments for the tree around mm-hmm. Christmas time. Um, so those would be on the tree, but we also do like, like my pacifier we hang on the tree every year. Oh. Yeah. Like <laughs> rattles wise. from like oh, when we were babies, our baby booties. Wow. Um, like it's like as if my mom had taken our baby boxes and put them on the tree, but it's cute because then you like remember, you take it out every year and you're like, oh, maybe my feet were that small. Like, <laughs> um, but my favorite thing that we put on the tree is my headgear from like the fourth grade. Did anyone have a headgear? I had braces and a headgear. Anyway, my Wait, parents are. What's a, is that like a helmet? <laughs> my dad is an orthodontist. So he puts like our retainers on the tree. Our, like, Colin, you don't know what headgear is? It's, um, it's pretty wild. And I just think that's like really, I don't, I don't know any other family that does that. It's, I love like, that. It's like special and I love that. funny and weird and yeah. What about you, Colin? I have no good Christmas memory. You have to tell yeah. one. See, it's so personal. Yeah. Colin can't even bring himself no, to talk I, about I, it. I, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm so uh, right. <laughs> so I'm right, the, the day after Christmas, my grandparents would always hold a party. Um, and uh, we would always, uh, I would always be there. And my, my grand father and grandmother both uh came over from germany so they had thick accents and would go in and out of german and english and all of that and we would all polka in the living room and that was always very very fun and um yeah right like if you could hear those sounds again i don't know if you still go to something like that but i go to polkas oh you do i do Sometimes does it bring it? Does it bring it all back to you? Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's great. Yeah. You guys want to go polka sometime? Oh, no, there's no Wyatt. I've I've polked polked polked. So Done some poking. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up this episode, Wyatt, thank you so much for yes. coming on and talking with us a little bit about your story. Um, I think Colin and I just want to say thank you so much for the listeners tuning in all year. It's meant so much to us and it's been so much fun to get to talk with you all and, um, well, not with you. Talk with you. But talk to you all and um, talk at you all. (laughs) (laughs) Get to make these things for you. We really love um, bringing people in and having these conversations and it means so much that you've all listened to us this year. So thank you very much. And Merry Christmas, yeah, right? Yeah, and have happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and hope you tune in again next year. Next year, <laughs> next week, uh, with uh, New Year's resolutions. That's what we'll do. <laughs> That's a tease that might not happen, but I think we should all say Merry Christmas, right, Wyatt? Would you like to say Merry Christmas to the people? Yes. Okay, that was Merry Christmas. Oh, I thought we were doing it together. Okay, right? Merry right. Christmas. That's how we'll end on three. One, two, three. Merry Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> that was horrible. That was perfect. That was, perfect. That was pretty Your voice. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have to do a podcast.